Hey, I'm Jacqueline Dallas, and welcome back to The Digital Dive, a conversation about tech. And I'm Darsh, and in this episode, we talk about why LG ended their smartphone lineup, an update on the Clubhouse situation that we discussed last episode, and why tech embargoes are so flawed, plus a ton more. Roll the intro. Darsh, did you see that LG ended their mobile smartphone lineup? Oh my goodness. Okay, so... Fun story, actually. So I was literally sitting with my parents. I got an email from LG's press team in on t- like in Canada. Like I got a, I got an email from the press team that I've been working with, and they say with sad news, the LG Mobile line is no longer existent. I don't know how to feel about this, honestly. Jacqueline, like, what are your thoughts on this entire thing? Dude, I'm sad. I'm working on a video about it right now, which actually may be up by the time this podcast is up. So if I remember, I'll link it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I'm just so sad about it. LG was the first company ever to send me a smartphone review in it with the G4. Me too. Oh no way. Yeah. The G4 is my first ever smartphone review unit. So on that type of level, I'm sad. Also like the whole PR team that I worked with there were incredible and like so kind and stuff. And they did really good events when that was still going on. So definitely super sad about it from that aspect, but also just from an innovation standpoint. Darsh, I'm going to throw it back to you. Obviously LG is such an innovative brand. Was there one innovation that they brought from like all the devices that you think is like the most important innovation? The most important innovation from LG that I think was actually something that a lot of people skip over a lot is the wide angle camera. I remember with the LG, I believe it was a G4, either the LG G4 or the LG G5, it was the first dual camera in a smartphone that wasn't telephoto. It was a wide angle camera. So all these different phone manufacturers are trying to switch and look at these different opportunities for a dual cameraed smartphone, whereas LG just popped in with a wide angle camera. And I thought that, in my opinion, was probably the greatest thing that I've seen LG ever do because now everyone is seeing how useful wide angle photography is and how useful having a wide angle on a smartphone is in terms of just general versatility in most use cases. Totally agreed with you. LG also is one of the first manufacturers to bring over pro video to smartphones. Mm-hmm. And those two things now are in almost every single major flagship. And it was all LG. Part of the thesis of the video that I'm working on is like, if you're going to be an innovative brand, you also need to create products that played a little safer and are just like great overall, because a lot of the time LG would nail being innovative, but then they would miss on the fundamentals. So for example, like with the LG wing, obviously that's a super innovative form factor and stuff, Mm -hmm. but then the fundamentals like good button placement were just completely not nailed. They were pretty terrible. It's kind of a trend. Like if you look at their phones over the years, like they'll do something super innovative, but then something fundamental that people will notice on a daily basis is not there. Like they'll include like a really high quality DAC for audio, but then the software experience won't be good. So like the DAC is incredible and innovative, but then the software experience isn't. And that's something that you interface with every day. Oh yeah. I think that's like one of the reasons why they ended, right? But I also think that they just don't do an incredible job marketing. And this is not like a shot at the PR team or anything. I think that they actually did a really good job like seeding devices and hosting incredible events. But just in terms of like one of the fundamentals of marketing is good brand names and good naming schemes. The way that they name their phones is so confusing. ThinQ, the numbers were never consistent. So sometimes it would go up by one, other times it would go up by 10. Yeah, There was like different letters like V, K. As a general consumer, it's hard to know what the most premium devices. Whereas like with Apple, for example, like you know that the latest number and Pro is the best device that they offer. Well, Pro Max, because it's Pro to the max. Oh, true. You know, you're right though. Like literally when it comes to these smartphones to really put yourself in front of a crowd, you need to have good marketing. And I love LG, like LG, you guys gave me my start when it comes to, when it came to checking out phones. I remember I got the LG G5 in the mail. I was ecstatic. I got the camera uh, attachment for it. I had the speaker to all these different cool little modules for the LG G5. And I was so happy with it. LG, the moment you started adding 
adding thin Q to the end of every single <laughs> smartphone. I- I'm sorry, like why? Just like, it needs to be quick. It needs to be easy. Like I actually have to give this to Essential. Essential phone, I think is actually one of the smartest brand name ideas ever because you're literally saying that this phone is your Essential phone. When it comes in, you just need to have good marketing with it. Totally agreed. I'm kind of like going through a process right now of like branding different things mm-hmm. and it's so hard to come up with a name. So I don't want to dismiss that, but like you're a giant company with so many different employees working there. It's so core and like, especially just for word of mouth, like if our podcast name was something super hard to pronounce, like for example, if it was our first and last name, like Darsh Kathani and Jacqueline Dallas, people constantly misspell my first name and I bet that they constantly misspell your last name. Oh, 100%. It would be hard for people to recommend it, right? Because they just wouldn't know how to spell it. Yeah. They wouldn't want to misspell it. Same thing with a phone. If the phone name isn't like easy, no one wants to look like a moron by saying the wrong phone name and no one can remember it or remember how to spell like thin Q, which is a weird spelling. So yeah. that's really important. But obviously there are other aspects that also led to their downfall. The one that we just talked about, which is like the innovation, but sometimes missing on the fundamentals. I also think just marketing in general, like not enough people really knew about LG. Like at least in my friend group, not from like YouTube and the tech world, when people would ask about an Android phone, they never said the word Android. They always said Samsung. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that, right? Where like people are like, oh, do you have a Samsung or an Apple? Yeah. Right. So like LG didn't do a good enough job of like getting brand awareness out into the public where people thought that they were a real contender in the space. Yeah, actually. So funny enough, my cousin called me last week and he was asking me, he was like, hey, I need to buy a new phone for my mom. What do I get? She doesn't want an iPhone and she doesn't want a Samsung, but what other options are there really? Because he's like, I'm thinking OnePlus. And I'm like, OnePlus just released the OnePlus 9. Highly recommend it. From everything I've heard about the OnePlus 9, 9 Pro, I think that it's all you need in terms of like, if you don't want Samsung and you don't want an iPhone, I think OnePlus and Pixel would be a good one. That was just my recommendation to him just based off what he was telling me. But when I brought up LG, I was like, honestly, you probably don't want to go with LG. I don't see their phones lasting you very, very long, mostly because of software, because their software is quite confusing and a little buggy. He was like, what? LG and he started laughing. It just seems like LG's kind of created this not presentation or not this like common understanding, but like they've kind of just been falling downhill and rolling down this hill for so long. I think that they picked up so much momentum they couldn't stop, which kind of sucks because some of their stuff was really cool. Like I actually really, really like the second display that they offered with the new phones, like the LG V60 Thin Q 5G. Yeah. And the LG Velvet 5G. Velvet's actually a good brand name. Yeah, that that's actually one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. But the dual screen I actually thought was kind of cool and it was intriguing because it brought this whole, I guess, foldable kind of idea, but with boundaries, like with the ability to kind of use it whenever you want it or use it for gaming, which was personally just my reason for liking it so much. But I just felt like it was cool. And it's kind of like the Microsoft Duo. And it was kind of weird, but it was a really interesting way that they did it. Even though they had those innovations that were really cool, I don't know necessarily how much they'll actually stick around. Like those kind of, I feel like no one's going to really take these features or these new products and kind of bring them into light in the future. Yeah. No, the, no, the third thing that you said, the software thing, mm-hmm. I think that's actually one of the other reasons why it failed the software just wasn't it wasn't great i mean so i like have been using the lg wing in preparation for this video about like why lg didn't work Mm -hmm. they optimized the software really well for like the dual screens but then other things in the software just did not work well like random app crashes like that i experienced continuously oh yeah the skin does not look that good Mm -hmm. when you experience lg phones your experience with it is never like damn the software is good like your experiences with oneplus or pixel Mm -hmm. and they've been a little dodgy with software updates in the past although now they're guaranteeing three years of updates for devices even though they're shutting down which i think is actually a really cool move i don't know that's definitely really important too like if you were to rate them what do you think is more important when you're selling a phone and you're lg or you're a sony is it software 
pricing camera like which one is the most important factor to nail i'd say pricing when it comes to a company like lg or even sony when you've been out of the smartphone game for a bit or like you're kind of having a hard hard go at it pricing is your best friend because ultimately what's the one thing that every single phone company is doing wrong right now they're jacking up the prices like a thousand dollars for a baseline smartphone shouldn't be a thing i understand yeah cool life goes like life expenses go up but we're creating technology and creating these new innovations on a daily basis there's definitely a way for us to figure out how to make technology more efficient so that's not as expensive but these companies just want bigger and bigger profit margins so if lg or even sony were to come in with a mid-range like flagship killer that was just insanely good i think that would have been a really really cool way to bring the company back and i'm really sad that they didn't actually get that opportunity this year. That's actually a really interesting point about the pricing because the other main thing with LG and another reason why I think they're not as successful and are like completely done now in the mobile industry is because their phones did not really hold value. So like Mr. Husa Boss in his video was talking about how like on launch day it'd be one price, but then like a week later it would drop 20%. Oh yeah. And as a customer, then you don't know how to value the phone. And also like you're always waiting to buy it because you know that the price is always going to drop more. Like the flash sales actually were not successful because people constantly wanted to get a better and better deal and also like if I buy a phone this year and I think by the time I want to resell it to buy another phone it's going to be like only 10% of the price that I bought it for I'm not going to want to buy that phone I'd rather buy a phone that holds value no exactly because that's the thing too it's even like with cars right like when you buy a car you understand it's a depreciating asset that's the same thing with the smartphone with most other smartphones like if I bought actually right now not even just bought I have an iPhone 6s sitting in my house I know I could sell that 6s for at least 200 bucks easy I could find someone who wants to buy it for 200 bucks if I found an LG phone from that year so let's say it's a G4, maybe the G3, I wouldn't be able to sell that thing for more than 50 bucks. <laughs> and that's nothing against LG. It's just the name doesn't carry any weight. Go back maybe 10 years or so, LG phones held weight. They were like respected in some light. Especially, I don't know if, do you remember the LG G Flex? I do. That was like the one that had the self-healing back, right? Yeah. I remember, I was like, this is so cool. And like the way that the phone was set up too, how it was kind of bent in a sense and it was curved. It was this first curved screen that was curved in a different way. Like LG has always been breaking the stereotypical norms when it comes to smartphones. And in the smartphone industry like they kept the headphone jack for most of their phones if not all of them if i don't remember the wing does not have it actually which is another area where i was like they tried this new innovation but then they left something that was so fundamental to their brand i feel like with the wing though the wing was more like a concept dream phone kind of like the fold it's like a it was a shot in the dark just to see if something like that would stick i feel like it wasn't a plan like this is going to be the phone that sells the most yeah but it was also like a thousand dollars that's the thing too like if you're going to play with the big boys you're going to play in this big game step up because i feel like the lg wing was kind of missing a lot when it came to like its functionality the performance actually it had like a lesser chip than most flagships at a thousand dollars and like it has an innovative form factor so it makes sense that it would be more expensive but again, they went for the innovation and they forgot the fundamentals. Literally. So that's what I mean. If you're going to play in the big leagues, you're going to play with Samsung. You're going to play with Apple. You're going to try to bring in these new innovations and at these huge price points, it's got to be perfect or at least as close to perfect as it can be because LG was already slipping. The other thing to kind of note is that LG is a huge brand. Mm-hmm. They have like TVs and microwaves and monitors. And like my monitor that I use every single day is an LG monitor. Mm-hmm. So also just from a financial perspective, like the smartphone industry is so competitive that if you're not succeeding, maybe you take all the money that you're spending on the smartphone industry and you excel in another industry. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what they said they're doing. But what does this mean for brands like Sony? What can companies take away if you're a OnePlus or even a smaller brand? When we started, LG was a major player and HTC was a major player. Like Mm -hmm. they were kind of one of the top players in the industry, right? And now the major players are Apple, Samsung, OnePlus, and then a bunch of sub brands from bigger companies like Xiaomi has a bunch of brands underneath it. It kind of feels like almost a monopoly by a few major players in the industry 
industry. So what do you do as a smaller player to not become the next LG? That's exactly it. You literally just said it. It's an oligopoly now. It's literally three, four companies that are literally running the space. And the only way you can compete with an oligopoly, one way is government intervention, which isn't going to happen. But another thing is just differentiation. You have to differentiate yourself from everyone else. And you can see that LG has been trying to do that for years with the high quality DAC and with the dual screen. Everything that they tried doing over the past couple of years has literally been themselves trying to keep up with everyone else. But what they ended up doing was they ended up focusing so much on hardware and so little on software that they fell off because everyone else built an ecosystem. That's a great point. They had every single possibility to think about it. You literally just said it. They had microwaves, they have TVs, they have monitors, they have all these different devices that are for the home. Why didn't they make an LG things like a smart things, like a Samsung or an Apple kind of home kit, smart things kind of integration with all of their stuff. And if they did, then why don't we know about it? Why don't, why weren't we using this? Why wasn't it such a big deal? I think that they did actually like have stuff like that. But then again, it comes back to the marketing, like the fact that we're so ingrained in the tech industry and we don't even know for sure. That's what I mean. And I'm pretty sure that they had like some of the things, but yeah, I mean, software's so huge. I think the main takeaways, if you're a brand is nail the price, focus on being innovative because that will bring you forward. Like don't be so scared that you never make improvements because then you'll become like an HTC where you just kept doing the same formula over and over. And again, it stops working. Yeah. But also don't focus so much on innovation that you miss the fundamentals. That's going to be core to your brand. And then the last thing that I think is really an important takeaway is like marketing. Your names scheme needs to be really good. Your marketing on digital platforms and you're reaching the demographic that isn't just the tech nerds is so huge. Honestly, yeah. The last thing, Darsh, that I want to talk a little bit about with LG and then we can move on is there's been this whole rhetoric online about the fact that reviewers are causing the downfall or like cause the downfall, which I'm adamantly against. But basically the argument is that reviewers don't cover LG phones as much as they cover other phones. And when they do cover them, it's often in a light of like, this isn't a good product. Don't buy it. What do you kind of think about that? First and foremost, I feel like YouTube reviewer, tech reviewers, we're part of a giant marketing scheme by each of these companies. The only way to get good press is to create a good product that's going to get the good press, right? When it comes to LG and their journey, I feel like over time, yeah, they took a lot of hits from a lot of reviewers, but that's not on the reviewers. That's just on LG. The reviewers main goal and main, I guess, job is literally to speak to the public and let them know exactly what the issues are around this product. If you don't actually tell them what the issues are, then you're going to get called biased. You're going to get called an Apple fanboy. You're going to get all Samsung fanboy. You're going to get called not a valid person to go to. So you have to be unbiased. And so when you go at it objectively, you end up seeing that LG phones at one point were amazing, or maybe not amazing, but they were good. They were good enough for me to be able to recommend them. Now, I wouldn't be able to say that. And I don't think that's anything against us as people who review these phones. I think it's literally just, we're just speaking the truth because I guess we share it to a large audience. We kind of shifted people's opinions because we're the ones who gave them the reviews, but that's not on us. I feel like that's on LG. The job of a reviewer is just to be honest. The job of the reviewer is not to influence. It's just to give your opinions and then people get influenced by that. Mm -hmm. But like Marquez in his video said, like I've made 20 videos about LG. And when you're a brand that focuses on innovation and not the fundamentals, like if I'm doing a review, the review is buy it, don't buy it. So obviously it's going to be a very different narrative than if I make a video on like the most innovative phones. Like you're just going to be put in a different light depending on the video. And the culture on YouTube, especially in the tech community, is mostly reviews. So it makes sense why a lot of them are positive. But I also feel like it's a generalization because like the G6 video, I made a video reviewing that like a year ago. The title for that video is literally the one for some. And I specify in the video, like this is a great phone for a small subset of people. So I think that it's just like in the reviewer's best interest, obviously, to be honest, but it's also our job to figure out what's most important and strip away the excess. The decision on if people are interested in it comes down to, first of all, do they 
click on the video, LG videos tend to get lower view counts in the last couple of years because mm-hmm. of people not really being aware about it. Yep. But also you give them the information. Do they like the video? Yes or no. It seems like people just weren't interested in buying LG phones in the same way. And there is definitely a small subset of people that are super interested in it. And they're definitely going to be really upset about this as I am as just a person that likes tech and likes competition. But Overall, obviously, people were not interested in the phone as a fact why they didn't click on the video and they also didn't buy the product. Yeah, literally, that was kind of how I went about my LG V60 review. I actually didn't even end up making an LG Velvet review. I had the Velvet for a bit and I didn't end up making a video because I was like, I don't know how to talk about this phone without ripping it and loving it the same. It was so conflicting because I love the way it felt. I love the hardware, but I hated the software. And I'm like, you can't you can't have both. <laughs> There's no way you can have both. It kind of goes back to the same thing over and over again. Like LG was able to innovate in ways that a lot of other companies weren't, but that was because they were trying to save themselves. Whereas they should have spent a lot more time nailing those fundamentals. And sadly they didn't, but I don't think that's anything bad on LG. I think LG as a company is, they're not lack of a better word. They're not getting screwed over by this. If anything, it's making them more aware of the industries that they're playing well in and how they have to keep up in them. When it comes to LG, they innovated a lot and they brought a lot of innovation to the space. I don't know how I necessarily feel about a lot of the innovation. I know some of it I really liked, especially the high quality DAX. Those were obviously great to see, but another company that's doing a lot of innovation as of late has been Clubhouse because it's literally a whole new social media platform. And a lot of other social media platforms are trying to take over Clubhouse's space. Jack, I know you're you're pretty big into Clubhouse. So there's a couple of new things that have been in the news right now with Clubhouse. What are your thoughts on everything? If you want to break it down for us. So just to give everyone a brief background of what we talked about last time, for anyone that's brand new, just listening to this episode now, thank you so much. Last episode, we talked about what Clubhouse can do to become not just a feature in an application, but an application itself. So just to quickly break down what that means, a lot of people are saying, oh, like this audio interface conversation style app is really just a feature that any of the existing social medias can add and it should not be its own independent application. Mm-hmm. And Darsh and I talked a lot about how the only way the Clubhouse can get out of this, in our opinion and in other industry experts' opinions like Colin and Samir, is by creating regular programming that people know to come back to that's exclusive on the platform. So like, for example, if they can get an artist to exclusively do album drops on Clubhouse, then that's a reason to go to the application. And if they can get a show like NYU Girls Roast Tech Guys to be exclusive to Clubhouse, then that's another reason to only be on Clubhouse. So that's what we talked about last week. And we talked a lot about Twitter spaces and what they do well and what they don't do well. And this week, some more news came out. Reportedly, a discussion between Clubhouse and Twitter. Twitter supposedly wanted to buy or discuss buying Clubhouse for $4 billion. The conversation has stalled a little bit, but I just think that that speaks to the magnitude of power that Clubhouse holds right now. It's tough because as Clubhouse, you're like, should I, they have a billion dollar valuation right now. So should I take the $4 billion if it's still on the table? Or do I think that I can grow past $4 billion? Like, do I think that I can get the programming so good that Clubhouse becomes like the next social media platform? You kind of have to be really bullish about your idea. But if you were the CEO of Clubhouse, Darsh, would you take the deal? No. Wow, really? I have an answer for that. Do you remember Periscope? I do. Does anyone still use Periscope? They just shut down, actually. So answer me this. When Facebook buys out a company, they buy out the company and everything that the company stands for still continues to grow. When Twitter buys a company, especially a social media company, that company goes in the ground because what Twitter wants to do is steal all their features, put it into Twitter and get rid of the company. That's what Periscope did. Periscope literally got fully integrated into Twitter and then it just crashed. It just died. The the question though, Darsh, becomes like, as a CEO, is it more important to you that you're the one running the company and you get the cloud of it being like Clubhouse? Or is it more important to you that you, first of all, get like a giant sum of money, but then also the feature still exists but now it's just branded as a Twitter feature instead of a Clubhouse feature. For example, with Periscope, that feature still exists in Twitter. It's just not called Periscope anymore. Here's another thing too. So I know when it comes to startups, I feel like most startup CEOs go about creating a startup 
and start doing these things and start creating their company because they don't want to work for anyone else. And I feel like selling to a big company like Twitter is literally putting yourself in a position to have a boss again, whereas keeping on yourself is okay. And from what it seems like, it seems like they were sitting at a billion dollar valuation. Then Clubhouse gets reached out to by Twitter and Twitter values them at $4 billion. So that means that now, okay, they've gone up $3 billion in terms of value and it means that Twitter's looking at them. So what stops them from leveraging that kind of valuation into getting better investors in and not selling the whole company outright to Twitter, but rather getting more investors to start raising more money to build an even better application. Because that's what I feel like they're going to end up doing. Because if the conversation stalled, all that means is that Clubhouse is like, okay, so we're worth $4 billion. We didn't think that. Now we know we're worth $4 billion because a big company like Twitter just said so. To play the other side, we've also seen a lot of cases with social media. For example, with Snapchat, mm-hmm. they'll say no to the deal. Instagram copies them and then they become a lot less valuable and people go to Instagram stories, right? Mm-hmm. To a certain point, you have to believe and have a ton of conviction in your idea. But I also think that when you're, you're offered $4 billion, depending on what the terms of the deal are, I don't see Clubhouse necessarily becoming worth more than that, right? Like what's Instagram valued at? I couldn't tell. I'm going to give a guess though. Uh, I'm going to give a guess for 10. Wow, it's worth a lot more than I thought. 10 billion? 102 billion? Whoa, okay. Oh, that's a big (laughs) number. Oh boy, whoever owns a lot of stock in the Instagram is living a very lavish life. And I think that that's right. Let me just set the source. It's like Media Kit X. Zuckerberg owns Facebook and Instagram, so he's just a very rich fellow as it is. So I'm going to revise a little bit what I just said because obviously I was thinking 4 billion is a lot of money, but I guess a clubhouse can see a future where maybe they're worth like 50 billion, like if they become a really big social platform. So I'll revise a little bit what I'm saying, but I think that just getting more money is not going to be the answer for them. So like now they're, if they're going around and they're like, oh, we're valued at $4 billion. Like let's just get more investors and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not the issue. It's not that they have a lack of money, I think. I think that they have a lack of understanding what they should do to be make it sustainable. Like right now people go on Clubhouse because it's novel and they're like, oh, like let me go on there. Justin Bieber did an album drop on there. Like there's this like really cool novelty about like Elon Musk is on there one day and all these other celebrities, right? Where like you just want to be part of it. You feel like it's like, in the know if you're on there. How do you make that sustainable long-term? And I think it comes down to programming, which obviously money will help with because they can like buy talent to be exclusive to the platform. So that's huge. But their strategy officer needs to be really, really, really forward-thinking about what's going to work well on the platform and what's going to keep creators and stuff. Yeah, I mean, they, they really have to believe in their idea to not take this because I think that $4 billion, depending on the conditions, would be pretty solid, especially when Twitter has a platform that's almost exactly the same Twitter spaces. And just to add to the discussion, Facebook has also working on a clubhouse competitor. It was like leaked in February. They're working on that. And mm-hmm. they're also now working on something called Hotline. And this is from the Verge article if anyone wants to check it out further. But the Verge says, Hotline works differently than Clubhouse and Spaces. It allows hosts to use video and to schedule more formal presentations with Q&A built in. So it kind of feels like, like a Zoom webinar more than a Clubhouse. And that they're also still working on a Clubhouse competitor that's separate than this. Mm. This is kind of similar to the Clubhouse app and we'll see how it goes. But what's stopping all these companies from getting involved? And what's stopping a company like Facebook from just doing it at a scale that no one else can do because they have so much capital. It's going to be tough for Clubhouse to succeed unless they have someone that's really, really smart with the strategy of the app. See, that's the thing though. You are right. It is a novelty app right now, but I do question this. So they have 10 million people already reportedly downloaded, right? And the app is still invite only. And it has all this buzz around it and it's at $4 billion. I feel like once they open up to the general public and it actually is able to literally be in everyone's pockets, that's when they might sit down and look at a sale. They haven't hit their peak yet and they're trying to wait till they get there. Also like, okay, so Twitter reached out to them being like, okay, we want to buy you right after Twitter creates spaces. So maybe after Facebook creates whatever they're making, if they don't actually pick up with it, maybe Facebook will start reaching out and being like, hey, house party. 
I want to buy you. And then they offer them a $6 billion valuation. Like whatever their strategy may end up being, from my opinion, I wouldn't take this deal just because it's the first thing on the table. I feel like there should be more just kind of browsing in the market to kind of see where it is. Yeah. And I want to hear from everyone listening. Like, do you guys use Clubhouse? Would you guys like to see Clubhouse merge with Twitter? What would your opinions be on that? Do you think Twitter spaces is something cool? Like, tell us about these things. I want to hear from you guys at Digital Dive Pod on Twitter. Go check it out. Let us know what you guys think. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts. It's just an interesting situation. I agree though. If this is like the first deal that they've been offered, then it probably makes sense to wait it out, shop around a little more, but not be so bullish in the idea that you're stupid and you don't take a good opportunity because we've seen this too many times with social media platforms that kind of think that they're it and then they get offered something for a really high value and then like 10 years later, they really regret not taking it because the app is no more. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about one more topic before we take a quick coffee break and this topic we're only actually talking about because we asked in the last episode, do people want to hear us talk about this? And we got tweets about it. So we're doing it. And it's why the tech embargo system is flawed. And honestly, Darsh, like this could be <laughs> like a 20 minute topic, but I think that let's just dip our toes in, maybe talk about it for a few minutes just to get our feet wet in it. And then if you guys enjoy that and you want to hear like a more in-depth analysis, we could definitely do that. Does this sound good to you, Darsh? Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Maybe even this could be a potential, I don't know, Twitter spaces conversation we could have and have a nice back and forth and discussion Ooh. with all of our listeners. So that's something you guys are interested in, you know, follow us on Twitter so we can add you to the spaces. Like this is going to be a really, really cool opportunity for you guys to be able to talk to us about it. I know there's a lot of questions around the embargo system. That's actually a genius idea. I love the idea of like getting the questions and stuff. Darsh and I have may or may not have posted an Easter egg on our Twitter alluding to this exact thing and no one picked up on it. I was very disappointed. (laughs) Anyways, so we're definitely going to do that. We'll post on our Twitter the time and date that we're going to do it at and it's kind of going to be like a live podcast show and then you guys can come up on stage and I think that tech embargoes is like the perfect topic. Jacqueline, how is the tech embargo system flawed? I I am quite curious to hear your stance on this. So the main reason why it's flawed, and this was kind of like a giant Twitter thread by Sarah Dietschy and Austin Evans and a bunch of other creators. When every single creator launches a video at the same exact time, everyone's sub box is filled. Let's say it's like the one plus nine. Everyone now, there's like 20 videos in the one plus nine. And a couple creators have a really strong foothold where everyone just trusts them and loves them. For example, MKBHD. (laughs) right? Or Mr. Who's a Boss, right? So they'll be fine and they'll get a ton of views. But other creators are noticing that their views go down significantly. So they put in like a week's worth of work. They're super excited. They launch it and the video performs like 10 out of 10, even though it's a brand new product. And the other aspect of that is that people have then tried to change the format. For example, I do camera comparisons. Two years ago, those would get 100,000 views within like 12 hours. But now everyone thought that worked. And now where it used to be like three people doing it, now like 20 people do it. So Mm -hmm. it's flawed. And for the companies, it makes sense because they kind of get PR for the whole day, but they don't get as much PR from it as diverse list of people because like if my video would normally get like 200,000 views without an embargo, maybe now it gets like 50,000. I think it's flawed in that way. There's obviously so much more to it than that, but Mm -hmm. from a standpoint of views, that's like the first area where it's flawed. For you in Canada, it's a little different, right? Because you guys get devices at different times. So do you feel like the same pressure with embargoes or not really? Well, okay. So I mean, I'm in a bit of a different situation, more so in the sense that like a lot of the Canadian tech YouTubers, from my understandings of it, have connections in the States. Most of their contacts are either in the States or they're both in the States and here. So they do between the both or they have different relationships with the companies than I do. So for me, when I'm under embargo, it's, it's more like, hey, you can post these videos around this time. I personally never post my video around the embargo time. Part of it is just because I am just really bad with keeping on schedule. As you guys have noticed, I was supposed to be posting every week of this year and I think I posted once. <laughs> that is that is more so me just waiting to get through final season. This week has just been absurd with work. When it comes down to the embargo system, and I, I, I actually fully agree with you on this, 
this, like because the tech industry and the tech reviewer industry is just so saturated now, there's so little space for error and there's also so little space for people to grow. I feel like it's kind of become so packed in like sardines that now no one can really grow even if they're given the sunlight and the water to flourish. They're not going to really be given that opportunity anymore because there's a lot of big creators who are kind of shadowing over everyone else. And for me, I thought of this and I don't know if anyone would ever actually do it. And if they would, give me credit for the idea or add me to it. A tech content house in a sense, or like a tech content group. Oh yes, I've, I've always thought about this. Yeah, like because there's all these different content houses like in all these different industries on YouTube or all these different industries on social media. Where's the tech one? Because I feel like, they're, like there used to be Team Crispy. Yes, that's the exact one that I always think about. Like Team Crispy for anyone that doesn't know is like your average consumer, TLD, Marquez. Austin Evans. Unbox Therapy, right? They would create content together like a collab so like they would hang out around like iphone week and they would all make different videos around the iphone and it was like you love to watch it because you could see like all your favorite tech youtubers cameo and i feel like you're totally right like that's definitely one of the things that's missing in the community is like the tech squad that's the thing like the tech community is so intertwined with one another we're all so close we're all friends like at this point like i'm surprised there isn't a content house well not even just a house just like a virtual content house like a team like a team yeah like i feel like that's something that we should be looking towards because our community has kind of come to a standstill and that's personally something that's turned me off from the community that's partially why i've left in terms of like youtube and that's kind of where i'm like i I don't know where i'm sitting anymore because i feel like it's just become so packed that you don't feel like you can actually grow anymore and it's it's a little discouraging but also it's a bit you get put in a standstill kind of a, a bad situation for some of us and that goes back to the embargo system as well it's the smaller creators are having a harder time growing because platforms like YouTube are so saturated. Yeah, like if you think about it like this, like I love the tech community and I feel like it is still such a community. There just obviously aren't as many like YouTube collabs, but like obviously people are in group chats and we talk a ton, etc. Think about like, let's say the OnePlus 9 was launching and let's just say hypothetically, it was like me, you, MKBHD, Mr. Who's a Boss and Michael Fisher as like a team. Let's call it Team Coldbrew. Mr. Who's a Boss was making a video about speed tests and then everyone collabs in that video. And then at the end of the video, he's like, oh, and if you want to see a video about camera performance check out Jacqueline's camera comparison and then in my video I shout out the speed test video and let's say Marquez is doing a review if you want to see a full review check out the review and then let's say that you're doing like a day in the life video like every video could kind of link and it could be like a broad story told across multiple videos instead of the same concept and like if you're all cameoing in each other's videos and it's like a collaboration like the vlog community of like oh like you're a group like squads on YouTube just tend to do really well and I think whoever does that in the tech space is definitely going to have like a huge opportunity there a hundred percent agree. And I think that is honestly really, really cool. And speaking of Team Cold Brew, I think it's time for a coffee. Ooh, smoothest transition of all time, dude. You just keep topping yourself. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. But yes, I think it's time for a coffee, but I think this is a great time. If you guys aren't already, go check out our socials while this break happens for like 10 seconds. Dude, don't leave the episode though. Don't leave the episode. Just write down our socials on a piece of paper next to you. That's what you guys should do this, in these episodes. Just keep a piece of paper so you guys can write down all your thoughts so you can share it with us later. Sounds good. Go do that. We'll be back in a couple seconds. Welcome back from the break. We talk a lot about Apple. Last week, we talked about a class action lawsuit against them. The week before that, we talked about their fight with Facebook and the privacy concerns. Now we're talking about them again, but in terms of them opening up third-party tracking integrations into like the Find My iPhone app, which is super interesting. So maybe break it down for us, Darsh, and give us your take. 100%. Okay, so basically when it comes to Apple, the one thing you can always count on them to be is kind of the bully in the in the schoolyard. They're the ones who will be like, no, you can't play with me because I don't want to be associated with you. Now, Apple has actually been doing a lot lately to kind of invite more competition in its own lineup of accessories, one of which actually happens to be the Find My Network. So if you have an iPhone or you have any Apple device, 
device, you probably have noticed an application called Find My. Now that is a network of, I guess it's a mixture of your phone, your iPad, any Apple products you have will all be listed on there as your Find My devices. You'll be able to find your devices through this application. But now also recently with recent updates, you've also been able to add your friends to that. Now what companies are being offered is that they can add their products, third-party companies can add their products to the Find My network, and it can be localizing these to help find these missing items. So the first wave of items that have been able to be tracked as of today is Van Moof's S3 and X3 e-bikes and the Belkin Soundform Freedom True wireless earbuds and the Chipolo one-spot tracking tag, which all now rely on Apple's crowdsourced Bluetooth network, basically using a bunch of iPhones, iPads, Macs to make sure everyone can kind of find their stuff. I think it's really, really cool. But at the same time, it's a little scary. I mean, just because tracking and everything like security, but I think it's really cool that Apple is finally opening up their network to allow for accessories and products that aren't necessarily made by them and be available to everyone else. That's just my thoughts. I'm actually really excited for this. I'm so excited too. I feel like there's not really much here except for the fact that it's like a super exciting thing because the Find My app is so, it's really well done and to have all your devices in one spot with integration paired with Apple security measures is awesome. You don't need multiple applications to track stuff. Exactly. It'd be really cool if we saw like Tile get integrated in some way. Super exciting, obviously it's still a closed garden in the sense that like you need to pass a certification test and things like that. But I'm super excited about that, to be honest. I think it's really cool to see Apple kind of opening up the garden a little bit and oh, yeah. allowing for more collaboration and stuff. It's still controlled, which I like because privacy is super important. And this week, actually, Tim Cook was on a podcast. Mm-hmm. He had so much conviction about privacy and why it's so important. And I was like, damn, like if it's not an act, like this guy really cares about privacy in a way that other major tech CEOs just don't. And that's really exciting to me because when you're a software-based company like Facebook, your moral code about targeted ads and privacy is a whole is much more lax than you are as a hardware company like Apple where your moral code is like, we want to create a hardware product and we want to make sure that you have your privacy. And it's really cool that Apple is kind of the standard in a lot of ways. Like they've had their faux pas in the past and stuff, but it seems like they've stuck with it throughout all the years. It obviously was really important. Steve Jobs, now Tim Cook. In other news about that podcast, Darsh, Tim Cook is quoted as saying that he does not know if he'll be the CEO of Apple in the next 10 years. And I think that's actually very fair. Yeah, he'll be like 70. Yeah, well, I mean... Not even just in terms of age, but I think it's also in terms of vision. Like just on a little bit of a side tangent, when Steve Jobs stepped down as CEO and he sadly passed away and Tim Cook took over, that was the start for so much new growth in this space because Steve Jobs, as much of a visionary as he was, he was kind of stuck in an old design language, an old style. Now, I don't know if Tim Cook is stuck in an old design language, but I do feel like having new blood in the office, in the CEO office of Apple could bring a lot of really cool innovation because Apple is still innovating and they're a very innovative company, but I feel like after a while of being in office, you run out of ideas. Yeah, dude, you know what just sucks? Okay, so we cut this out of the episode, but my mic just stopped recording for a second there and I was like that was weird i just got a text you know what happened darsh what my headphones switched to my phone again i forgot to turn off bluetooth before recording screwed up the whole thing obviously garage van was like what's going on why don't you have an audio output anymore they're obviously not innovating in that arena i cannot believe that that's still an issue yo tim cook if you're listening to this fix that please <laughs> get on that get on Dude, that it's so annoying asap though. man like and then tweet me and tell us that you fixed it because i want to tweet from you that would be awesome yeah. <laughs> my birthday's coming up tim cook just just that'd be a nice present just tweet me that you fixed the airpod issue oh dude when's your birthday? May 9th. Guys, May 9th, we're blowing up Darsh's 
Twitter notifications. Oh, guys. Mark down your calendar right now. <laughs> Dude, I'm sorry. I, I totally sidetracked us, but that is so annoying. And I didn't even like open up my phone or anything. It just like, it switched to my phone to play me the sound of the notification, which is just very irksome. Totally got us off there. But anyways, yeah, Apple's innovating, opening up their garden a little bit. Cool to see. The Tim Cook interview was actually really cool to see. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely miss when Tim Cook steps down because I think that he's a really stand-up guy. Oh yeah, no. He, and he's he was literally groomed for this. He was the person who worked under Steve Jobs. He was at Link. And I, that's why like I feel like everyone was so gracious to kind of accept him at some point. I mean, he had a lot of he had huge shoes to fill. I think he's still, he's a stand-up guy, great CEO of Apple, and he did a lot of really, really cool things. Yeah, totally agreed. Also, like, he's one of the first openly gay CEOs, and he's done a lot in supporting the LGBTQ community, which I've read from people within that community that that's been awesome to see and that um, they really respect him for doing stuff like that, which is really cool. So just as a person too, like from the outside, seems like a pretty stand-up guy. 100%. You know, there is one thing that Tim Cook did that really, really bugged me. And that was when he took Fortnite off the app store. In Fortnite news, there is a really cool Fortnite news. And there's actually a house party integration in Fortnite. So it's a huge just change. They were able to actually integrate house party into Fortnite so you can actually use it while you're streaming. So cool. I personally do not use Fortnite and I have not used house party in like years. I don't really feel any type of way about this except for thinking it's cool for people that use it. But you're actually kind of a big Fortnite guy, right? The thing is when quarantine hit, I wasn't a huge gamer. And then I decided to go buy an Xbox One S all digital because I found a guy selling it for 300 and then I offered him 150 and that's Canadian dollars. So that's basically $2 US. <laughs> With that in mind, I was like, okay, for two bucks US, I can get an Xbox. Cool. And so I went and got one and I started playing Fortnite because it was like a free game, right? And I just started paying online. All my friends played Fortnite and I was like, this is so cool. And I think it's just really, really cool that you can do your streaming with your friends through there because now it gives you an opportunity to truly interact with your friends who don't have headsets or who can't communicate online with their because they're devices don't work or something like that. It's just like a nice alternative, which I think is really, really cool. Plus also it's like Twitch streaming. Like it's a new opportunity for Twitch streaming. So if House Party is coming for Twitch, I guess we'll see how that works out. I don't know. It's definitely just an exciting time. Speaking of Twitch, their creative director has posted a saga on Twitter. And this is my first stuff we like this week. This saga has been unreal to witness. Uh, we're going to link it in the show notes because it's really good. Basically, it's all about like him randomly getting reached out to one day about potentially going on a date with someone, them asking him a bunch of questions that he was like putting like a bachelor style game show. Really? Yeah. And he's been documenting the whole process. He documented the date, which was last night, Wednesday, April 7th. And he like wrote an entire thread about it. And I like posted on Twitter. I was like, I'm so emotionally invested in this right now. I need to know what's going on. And the payoff was real. It definitely was worth it. So that's my first one for stuff we like this week. I love like Twitter threads that just like tell random stories like that and he executed. That is actually jokes. Oh my goodness. I definitely have to read that. I have not read that. I've been so offline the past like week or so. So my stuff like like this week is more to do with things external of the digital media. And that happens just to be the weather. The weather in Ontario as of late has been absolutely beautiful. I literally before the podcast. So my dog is actually up this week, everyone. My dog Chico. If anyone knows how to help adjust him to a cat because he's never seen a cat before and he really doesn't like him. Anyone has any ideas? Just tweet at me. I tweeted out about yesterday I got like one or two responses so thank you everyone who did reply but I do want to say the weather has been fantastic here and that's something I've really, really loved this week I was literally just outside the park for a solid like hour and a half just chilling with the doggo and listening to some Justin Bieber beautiful beautiful vibes that sounds like an awesome day dude social media most of my stuff this week is related to that but that tops all of them that's awesome for me the second one for this week and I tweeted about this earlier in the week is product shots I've always been like super interested in photography just as like a fun hobby mm-hmm. and I did it a ton in high school and stuff just like for fun yeah and I kind of 
of I I don't even know when it happened to be honest. I guess it was gradual. I just stopped doing it. Probably like at the beginning of the pandemic, but it happened so gradually that I never like was like, "Oh, I guess I don't shoot photos anymore." And then I got some Peter McKinnon coffee in last week, <laughs> and I was like, "All right, I want to take a photo of this and like tweet it because I know like if I were a creator launching a product, I would want another creator to like take photos of it and tweet it and stuff." And I was just like, "Damn, I really miss that. Like I miss like setting up the lights and like making it look cool and taking photos and like I've just I didn't even remember why I stopped or when I stopped and it was like kind of a weird feeling of like wow I didn't even know I was missing this and now like I opened up Lightroom and I was like I can't even remember the last time I opened up Lightroom it was so fun so not that it's a job or or, like I'm incredible at it but I just really like taking product shots and just photography in general so that was another thing I really liked this week and I'm definitely excited to like get back into it that is absolutely sick I actually I saw all the pictures and I I was astounded and coffee wise is, is it good coffee yeah you know it tastes exactly like his hot version of it but it's cold which is really cool and it's like convenient like you just like open up the tab and then you're like you could just drink it straight from the can which is really cool and the branding aesthetic is on point it has like the owl the coloring like his branding is on a different level like i don't think many other youtubers could even like come close to doing what he does oh no and the thing is his eye for design is absolutely incredible peter if you're listening to this i i love everything that you're doing man like you're, you're absolutely crushing it right now and if you're listening to this that would have made my day so <laughs> thank you for being here but honestly no this coffee looked incredible i want to try it so so bad so i definitely will have to order it if they ever do a restock it may be available on the site i feel like it was available a couple days ago as like a six pack instead of a 12 but i could be wrong but yeah definitely worth a try what's your another thing that you like this week probably the last one for me this week because i haven't there hasn't been much going on because it's kind of final season so i've been a bit busy the one that i'd actually like to say is it's a song i was just going through uh listening to it i think it was hip-hop central on spotify i was just listening to some new music there's a song called like this it's by 2k baby and marshmallow i love it i don't know what it is about it it's just it's so upbeat and like summery and it just made me feel like the summer vibe and just that just makes me happy so i highly recommend it go check it out if you guys are into like hip-hop it's a pretty good song i'd highly recommend you guys check it out that sounds awesome definitely gonna have to check it out my last one for this week is also music obviously ajr is like a band that i was put onto by actually the tms guys when they were on our podcast and i just started like re-listening to their music and the song week has like such a cool like call and response in it which i really love i've been like loving music that has something like that justin bieber's song peaches also has something really similar to that oh i love peaches yeah it has the same exact vibe there. You should check it out where it's like, I don't even know, like melodically, it's like a call and response. And then the other song from them is Turning Out. It's just like, it brought me back to an emotion that I felt a long time ago and it encapsulated it in such a cool way. So mm-hmm. I loved it. Uh, really cool. So that's my last one for this week. And I think that it would actually be really cool if people wanted to leave us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the episode. In that five-star rating, if you want to write a comment, aside from like telling us what you like about the show and what you don't like about the show, tell us one thing that you liked this week. I think it'd actually be really cool to like kind of read through it and see what people are liking this week so if you Mm -hmm. feel passionate enough to give the show like a five-star rating or a four-star rating whatever i think five-star would be dope though it'd be fantastic (laughs) let us know one thing you like this week in that rating so we can be exposed to new stuff that sounds fantastic and while we're talking about five-star ratings i do also want to say while you are down there go check out our amazing editor and friend luke fabricatori he is an amazing amazing guy he's been grinding out these episodes i can only imagine the amount of work this guy has right now and he keeps up to date and keeps us on our schedule which has been fantastic luke you know this we love and appreciate you so much man and also huge shout out to Adil Constantine, the amazing genius behind our intro and outro music. Really, really well done stuff, guys. I want to say, if you guys haven't already checked out our social medias, go check that out down there too, just while you're there. Dude, I, I was listening to our intro and outro music the other day and just like straight vibing. It's so good. It's a vibe. It's nice. It's amazing. So uh, thank you guys all so much for listening this week. We'll be back next week as always, 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern, every single Monday. We're actually really sticking to that schedule and I'm proud of us. So thank you guys for all your support. The messages also just like in the discords I'm in or just Twitter and stuff of like people being like, this is the hour of the week that I look forward to the most or like I listen to this before I go to bed and it like really reduces
reduces my stress. Like that's incredible. And Darsh and I can never have even dreamed of getting responses like that. So thank you. Much love. And we will catch you next week. Thanks so much for listening.